Well, I almost feel superfluous today, but but I am prepared, so we're going to go ahead with what I've prepared. For the past several weeks, we have been studying through First Peter, and uh, we believe that the author of that letter is Peter because the author refers to himself as Peter and says that he was an apostle. He is writing to people he describes as aliens and strangers, people who are suffering because of their commitment to Christ. As we continue in this study, we come to a passage today when he sort of summarizes what he has said up to this point. So take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll pick up in verse number 8, where we left off last time. To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. And let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience." So that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Peter begins by giving a summary in verses 8 and 9 about what it means to be a Christian. He is talking about the characteristics of those people who say that they are believers. And he begins with the word harmonious. Well, now, why would he start there? Why would he say that if one is a Christian, then they should be harmonious? Well, I believe it is because Christians normally live in a hostile world. Therefore, we should be harmonious in our dealings with each other. In fact, it was uh, interesting to me this morning when we had our time of prayer. Some of the deacons come in and pray with me each Sunday morning. And Bob Newell was praying, and in his prayer, he was thanking the Lord for the harmony that is within the church. That's what Peter is talking about here. If we are believers, then harmony should characterize our lives. As a matter of fact, this admonition is found throughout Scripture. In Romans chapter 12, verse 16, Paul wrote, Be of the same mind toward one another. And there he is stressing the importance of not being arrogant in our dealings with other Christians. Oftentimes we have a pride problem within the church. We have an arrogant problem within the church. And many times... Our arrogance is the result of our doctrine. Folks, let me tell you something. Most of the Scripture 
is not dogmatic, but it is principle. And in those areas where there are principles, then we interpret. And we don't all interpret the same way. And yet sometimes we make an interpretation and then we become very arrogant with that interpretation. That has always been true within the church. For instance, throughout the New Testament, you'll find that there was division between the legalists and the libertines. Now, the legalists were those people who thought that everything about the Christian life was very legalistic. Every T was to be crossed. Every I was to be dotted. On the other hand, there were the libertines who said, well, no, we're under grace, so it really doesn't make any difference. There has always been this arrogance within the church concerning spiritual gifts, concerning various doctrines. Buddy Robinson wrote, Pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. So we find this throughout the Scripture. For instance, Paul was writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I exhort you, brethren... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, here Paul is talking about the sinful divisions that exist within the church. Normally, when we think of those divisions, we think of, well, yeah, that's right. We have the Baptists and the Presbyterians and the Methodists and the Episcopalians and the Catholics and so forth. But let me ask you, what about the divisions within our family as Baptists? I mean, we have Southern Baptists, Cooperative Baptists, Fundamental Baptists, Liberal Baptists, Moderate Baptists. We have all kinds of Baptists. Sometimes we think that we are really committed to missions. The fact is, oftentimes it's simply because we can't get along with each other. So he's talking about the divisions that happen within the church that are sinful divisions. Now, let me say, I have no problem with denominations. I never have. You know, we don't interpret everything the same. And then he says, in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 27, "...only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel." You see what Paul is saying? He is saying when we have sinful divisions that there is hostility within the congregation, then we cannot be an effective witness. The world looks at us and says if they can't get along with each other, then why should I be interested in what they're saying? So he says then that when we are divided like that and we have hostility towards each other, then we are not effective witnesses. So he begins with harmonious. And then he says sympathetic. The word sympathetic means to suffer with another. There has always been that tension between selfishness and sympathy. And truth is, many of us are so selfish that we cannot be sympathetic to what others are going through. Barclay said, so long as the self is the most important thing in the world, there can be no such thing as sympathy. And yet what Paul, what Peter is saying here is that if we are believers, if we are followers of Christ, then we are to be sympathetic to each other. Romans 12:15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 
the Harper's Commentary, said this probably denotes not active compassion for the distressed, but a readiness to enter into and share the feelings of others. In other words, as believers, we are to feel for each other. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We are to feel with each other. One of my favorite stories is a story about a little girl who came home from school one day. And uh, she told her mom, said, Mom, it's just been a terrible day. And she said, well, what happened? She said, you know my friend Ellen? She said, yeah, I know your friend Ellen. So, well, we were out on the playground and, and, and Ellen fell down and she scraped her knee real badly. And her mom said, well, honey, what did you do? She said, I just sat down and cried with her. Well, that, that's, that's what he's talking about. That's what that means. It means that I feel with you. And then he says, brotherly. Harper's Commentary says, the writer is not thinking of brotherly love in general, but of the special love which should knit believers in Christ together. Folks, Christian love is a powerful testimony. First of all, to God. Because God has said, you cannot love me whom you have not seen and hate your brother whom you have seen. So love then is a tremendous testimony to God, but it also is a testimony to us. Because the scripture says in 1 John 3:14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. So then how do I know that I have passed from death unto life? Well, he says one way is that you have a genuine, heartfelt love for the brethren. That I genuinely love other Christians. It is a testimony to others. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How does the world know that we are followers of Christ? Because we love each other. So, love then is a powerful testimony. And then he uses the word kind-hearted, which means to have pity. And today we have largely lost pity, have we not? We don't have or we're not moved when we see suffering because we've seen so much of it. We have seen the suffering in Darfur. We, we have seen the aftermath of Katrina. And when we've seen as much as we have seen on the television, then when we see what is happening in Florida with faith, and we're not really moved that much, are we? We don't have that kind of pity. We have even lost our pity when it comes to death and such things because the movies and the television programs that we watch and the video games we play are so graphic in their violence and death that what has happened to us is that it has taken pity away from us. And so we are not moved by pity anymore. But as Peter here is speaking about the characteristics of a believer, one of the things he says is kind-hearted or pity. And then he says humble. There are two things that bring about humility in one's life. First of all, a self-awareness. Now, we've heard a lot about narcissism recently. But let me tell you something. When you really see yourself as you are, you have a tendency to humility. I have had the privilege of, of preaching, I think, five different times at Falls Creek Assembly. Falls Creek is a youth camp, and there will be five to 10,000 or so uh, teenagers there. Tremendous, tremendous thing. And uh, what happens, the genius of, of Falls Creek is that 
At night, whenever the campers go back to their cabin, well, the pastors and the youth ministers and so forth share the gospel with the kids. And so the next night when they come to the service and you give the invitation, there are hundreds who come forward. I mean, you get to thinking you're Billy Graham. Because you give the invitation and all of a sudden the aisles are full and, you know, I mean, just hundreds of people are coming forward. Well, I'd preached there one time, and after the service, I asked Linda, we were, we were walking back to our cabin, and I said, how many really great preachers do you think there are in the world? And she said, one less than you do. <laughs> when we see ourselves as we really are, we have a tendency to become humbled. John Flavel said, they that know God will be humble, and they that know themselves cannot be proud. When we see ourselves as we really are, then there is humility. And then there is the awareness of God. When I am aware of God, folks, you know something? God does not compare me to you. He compares me to Jesus. He does not compare you to me. He compares you to Jesus. And so the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then he mentions forgiveness in verse number 9. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So one of the characteristics of someone who is a Christian is forgiveness. Now, there are three levels of forgiveness. There is the demonic level. That is, I do not forgive one who has forgiven me. There's the human level, I forgive those who have forgiven me, and then there's the divine level, I forgive those who have not forgiven me. Then he says, and to love life, in verse number 10, for let him who means to love life and see good days. I, I, I don't know how that affects you, but as I read that, I, I sort of spent a little bit of time on it, to love life. You see, some people see life as a burden that is to be endured some see it as a battle that is to be escaped, but Christians see life as a gift from God that is to be loved. Do you love life? I even wear one of those little hats that says life is good, because I believe that. I believe that life is good, and I think that a believer should see life as being good. But now, how then can we live our life so as to love life? Well, it's interesting what he says here, because he says, well, to do so, first of all, you have to control the tongue. Verse number 10, for let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Now, why would he say that? If you want to love life, control your tongue. Why? Well, because the misspoken word brings so much misery to our lives, does it not? You can ask any politician. They are very careful with what they say because their misspoken words can come back to haunt them. I've, I've had a problem with that many times and, and saying things that I ought not say. I remember when I was a boy, the guy that I was working for said, Wendell, some people think and speak, some people uh, speak, and then they think about it. He says, you speak and never think about it. And, I, and he, was, he was right. You see, sometimes we just make life miserable because we have not controlled the tongue. And then he says, if you want to live your life so that you love life, do good and hate evil. Look at verse number 11, and let him turn away from evil and do good. I thought, well, isn't that interesting? You know who has the best time in life? The do-gooders. 
Isn't that funny that, that we criticize? Well, that's a, well, that's a do-gooder. I mean, you know, school, I mean, we, we, we put people down by saying, well, they're just a do-gooder. Folks, those who do good are those who really love life. So he said, hate evil and love life. And then pursue peace in verse number 12. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteousness and his, on the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. And the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, not all Christians pursue peace. Have you noticed that? Now, I'm not talking about in this church. I'm talking about some of the other churches around town. Not all Christians pursue peace. Will Rogers said, if they are going to argue religion in the church instead of teaching it, it's no wonder you can see more people at a circus than at a church. The truth is, many of our churches are empty because the people there fight all the time. First little church I pastored, I used to go out and knock on, I mean, I went there and it's just a little bitty church and I knocked on every door in the neighborhood and as I would invite them to church, they'd say, I'd tell them where I was from and they'd say, oh, that's that church that fights all the time. I thought, what in the world have I gotten myself into? And then I realized that it's just not a typical Baptist. I'm just teasing about that. It's, it's really not. Here's the Lord's promise to us. Look at verse number 12. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. Do you know that the eyes of the Lord are upon you? The psalmist in 139 verses 1 through 3, O Lord, Thou hast searched me, Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and art intimately acquainted with all my ways. The eyes of the Lord are upon us. Trudy saying, His eye is on the sparrow. I know He watches over me. Do you know that the Lord's watching you? The Lord's watching you. That's what He says. The eyes of the Lord are upon us. And then he continues in verse number 12. And his ears attend to their prayer. His ears are open to us. Do you believe that God is listening? That God is watching? That God is listening? That when you pray, God is listening? Do you believe that? And that, that's an awesome thought. God is listening? Sometimes I can't get my kids to listen to me, but God is listening. God is listening. And then he goes on in verse number 12, and, But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, most people, when they come to that passage of Scripture there, think that this is a reference to future judgment. But, if the eyes of the Lord are on me now, and the ears of the Lord are open to me now, then I have to conclude that the judgment to which he refers is present judgment. I know that it is not uh, politically correct to say, but when I look around and see it, I move away from God and I move away from the things of God and so forth. And then I see some of the problems that we are dealing with, the issues that we are facing. It causes me to ask the question, are we facing some of these things because of God's judgment? And I conclude, yes. Now, I'm not going to say, you know, what those things are, because that's God, but I believe that. I believe that sometimes we face the things we face. Now, don't leave that in the hands of God, because only God knows that. But I believe sometimes we face the things we face 
because of God's present judgment. So there's the summation of the Christian, and I'm going to have to hurry here. Then he says that we sanctify Christ as Lord in verse number 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. He says, sanctify Christ as Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means, first of all, that we are zealous for that that is good. That's what he says back in verse number 13. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Sir John Seeley said, No heart is pure that is not passionate, no virtue safe which is not enthusiastic. Folks, as believers, if we are believers, Peter is saying that we are to be zealous for good works. Titus 2.14, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That should characterize us if we're believers, that we are zealous for good deeds. I was down here yesterday. And Ron Paul and, and uh, a number of our people who are involved in this were out there cooking and, and serving and, and feeding those who are hungry. They do that, I think it's once a month that they do that. Zealous for That's what it says. That if you are a believer, then you are to be zealous for good deeds. He says we are to be zealous for the law. Acts 21.20, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. So he says that we are to sanctify Christ. And then he says we're to be ready to suffer in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. There are two basic areas in which we suffer. We, we suffer, first of all, because we are humans living in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world and we are humans... There is pain, sorrow, distress, grief, all of those things. We face them. That's a part of being human. And then we suffer because we are Christians who live in an unbelieving world. And yet in spite of that, he says in verse 14, but you are blessed. You suffer, but you are blessed. Jesus said in Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Peter says we are to be prepared to witness in verse number 15. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Do you know that some of the most effective witnessing comes as a result of suffering? I think the Apostle Paul was convicted of sin and brought to the Lord in part because of the suffering of Stephen. And uh, some, of the, some, some of the most powerful witnesses I have ever heard are those people who have suffered, and out of their suffering, they became a witness. But then he says, we also witness through the Word, in verse number 15, with gentleness. Folks, listen, with gentleness. We don't beat people over the head with the Bible, but we gently share it. Barclay said, men may be wooed into the Christian faith when they cannot be bullied into it, with reverence and gentleness. Barclay said, a saint, as someone has said, is someone who's make, whose life makes it easier to believe in God. Are you someone like that? That it's easier for people to believe in God because of the way you live your life. I want to be like that. And I think you do.
And I think that if we live this way, that we're going to be like that. If we love life, if we are harmonious, if we are sympathetic, if we are this way, then I think it's easier for other people to believe in God. So he says, sanctify Christ as Lord and then safeguard the conscience in verse 16. And keep a good conscience so that in things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. What is the purpose of the conscience? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 2.15, they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Your conscience accuses you of wrong action. That's the reason when you're driving down the road and you look over and you see a police car, that you immediately slow down, even if you're driving the speed limit at the time. Because your conscience reminds you that earlier you were not. That's the reason, and I think it's humorous, I enjoy doing it, but whenever you see a pretty girl walk by, watch the men. Because they're standing there, and she walks by, and they go. And then they remember that their wife is watching them. And their conscience convicts them, or maybe it's the presence of their wife, but it accuses wrong actions, and it defends right action. But you can't totally trust it. Because the conscience can be damaged, therefore we are to protect it. Did you know your conscience can be defiled? The Bible says in Titus 1.15, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. The word defiled means to pollute, to contaminate. Do you know something? Your conscience can become so defiled that it can no longer tell the difference between right and wrong. And in fact, it was interesting to me that I was reading in my devotional time this morning in Psalm 36, verse 2. So it says, for it flatters him. It's talking about a person who is sinning, for it flatters him concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. What the psalmist said and what Peter is saying here, and Paul is saying here, is that your conscience can become defiled and you no longer know right from wrong. And in fact, there are those people who are flattered by their wrong. He says it can be seared. First Timothy 4, 2, seared is in their own conscience as with a branding iron. And it becomes weak. First Corinthians 8, 7, their conscience being weak is defiled. Therefore, we are to protect the conscience. Now, what does Peter say? We've got to sum this up and close it here. There's a summation of the Christian life in verses 8 and 9. Sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble spirit, not returning evil for evil, insult for insult, but giving blessings said. So he summarizes what we are supposed to be. Now, folks, read that. Underline that. If you are a believer, that's what you're supposed to be. So there's the summation of a Christian life. He says in verse 15, sanctify Christ as Lord. In verse number 16, Safeguard the conscience. You know why that is so important? Be careful with your conscience. Because your conscience can become hardened to God. That's the danger, is that your conscience can become hardened to God. George Truett was pastor of First Baptist Church Dallas for 50 years or so. There was a girl who was a member of his church. She was 17 years old. Her father had attended the church, but no longer came. He was not a member and the girl was killed tragically. Truett was asked to do the funeral, and the father asked Dr. Truett if he would accompany him, ride with him to the funeral. And Dr. Truett did. 
As they were riding, the man said to him, I used to attend your church. I was moved by the sermons and touched by the music, but I couldn't make myself respond to the invitation. After the service, I would walk the streets for hours. I was miserable. I would promise myself next Sunday I would commit my life to Christ. I didn't. He said, now when you preach and I attend church, I'm no longer moved. What happened? Dr. Truett said, I didn't have the heart to tell him that there is a line unseen by men, that when you have crossed it, you built such a thick barrier that you'll never let Jesus in. Folks, that's the reason that you protect your conscience. When the Holy Spirit of God deals with your heart, it's important that you respond positively to the Lord. Because there can come a time when your conscience, your heart, is hardened to God. You'll never respond to Him. Is the Lord speaking to your heart today? Has He spoken to your heart? Is there a commitment that you need to make today? Then I pray that you might be obedient to the Lord. Our Father in God, we come to a time of invitation lifting these up to you. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit might bring conviction and draw people to Christ. Those who are lost, that they might be saved. I pray, Father, for others with whom you are speaking, that they might be obedient to you, that their conscience might not become weakened. But, Lord, that there will be perfect obedience to you during this time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just a moment, we're going to stand, and the choir is going to sing. And this is an invitation that is being extended. If you're here without Christ, I encourage you to come. There will be counselors here to pray with you and talk with you. If you're looking for a church home, my doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. So stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir sings. As they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.
Well, I'm so glad that you're here today. Thank you so much for coming, and we'll continue our study from First Peter next Sunday. Uh, Joe Landrum. Joe, are you up there somewhere? Uh, Joe, stand up so I can see and yell. Or There you are. Okay, I thought, I thought that was you up there. There was an article in Tiger Legends, and it's just a big article about Joe. He played uh, baseball there. He played for the Brooklyn Dodgers and says in here that he, he uh, spends his time doing volunteer work at his church, First Baptist Church, Columbia. So we're very proud of you, and, uh, and I just wanted to recognize you this morning. And college students especially, uh, Charlie Hall concert tonight at 7 o'clock. Uh, grab a friend or three and bring them with you, and I think that you're going to have a great time. Wes, where, where, uh, where do they meet? Where is it? Huh? Were you back there talking to somebody? WJ did it? Yeah, come up here real quick. Charlie Hall. I don't know who Charlie Hall is. I figure that it's Big John Hall's son. <laughs> well, you, you've said that joke before, but I don't know who Big John Hall is. I know, so but I don't know. Well. <laughs> I realize that, but I don't know who Charlie Hall is. Charlie Hall is, um, he's out of Oklahoma, and uh -huh. he, uh, he leads worship and does concerts. Just came out with a new CD. and um, He's that guy with the beard and the bald head. That's him, yeah. He kind of looked like you. I thought it was you, but in earlier days. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I grew hair. Yeah. That's right, that's right. So, uh, yeah, that's so where it. are you meeting? It's going to be here in the sanctuary. Here in the sanctuary. Doors open at 6. It's a free concert. It's not just for college students. Okay. Uh, so it's whoever would like to come. Uh -huh. But uh, doors open at 6. No tickets required. Okay. Here at 7. The concert starts at 7. All right. So it's going to be hot dogs before? Well, um, if you're cooking. No, but, I'm not. Uh, okay. Well, then I'm there's not. not going to be, okay? All right. All right. So All right. Now, another thing. Well, I don't know. Let's look down here. The Metro uh, is Tuesday night. That's right. There's a concert for that. Yes. A girl named Laura Story will be uh, in concert. What about Laura? Uh, you know what? Laura uh, wrote the song. She used to sing for the Dixie Chicks, didn't she? No, she didn't. She didn't. She didn't, but uh, she, she uh, is, lives in Atlanta from Spartanburg. Okay. Spartanburg. You know, she and I took piano lessons together when we were younger. Are and you she serious? turned out good, and me, I didn't. So uh, she has songs on the radio now. So, but you yeah. have talent. Uh, I have a lot America of talent. has talent, and you're one of them. All right. All right, so that's Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Where's that? That's in the EFLC. All right, right over there. Let me see. And then Women by Design, ladies. The tickets are available back in the Washington Street uh, lobby for you. Uh, you want to go ahead and invite the college students to Bible study you know, today? Lunch? That's right. right. We have, While you're um, here, you might as well do something. Okay. We have Olive Garden is bringing our lunch for our college students, so we'd love for you to come over and enjoy that. How about that? So... You want to come, Linda? You and, all right. I'm, you know, I'm, I know she hasn't fixed anything. <laughs> so, and and uh, Rick, Dr. Milne is going to be teaching okay. uh, this morning, so it's going to be a great time. All right, so college students? Absolutely. All right, immediately now. I mean, it's immediately. Right now. All right. And uh, if you have any prayer needs, these guys with red badgers on, be happy to pray for you. Let's stand as we are dismissed. Father, thank you for the reminder from your word as to what you expect of us. May we leave here living a life that is harmonious, sympathetic, kind-hearted. Lord, may we be a reflection of Jesus in whose name I pray.